Well, good morning, everybody. Uh, well, my name is Amy, and I'm one of the pastors here. And today is the fourth and final Sunday of Advent. And all through Advent, we've been exploring this theme of in the waiting. We've looked at hope in the waiting, and peace in the waiting, and joy in the waiting. And then this week, love in the waiting. But I actually want to suggest kind of a small tweak to that phrase as we get into this week. And it might seem like semantics, but I think it's actually essential. So instead of talking about love in the waiting, I want to talk about loved in the waiting. Because I don't want us to just sit here and kind of keep the idea of love at a distance, where it's this abstract thing that we think about and not a personal thing that we interact with. Because love is this activity of God that is so personal and so intimate, and it's directed squarely at me and at you and at each one of us. You are loved. I am loved. We are all loved. Before we are anything else, we are loved. Before the foundation of the world, we were loved. We are loved right in the middle of our darkness and of our waiting and of our feeble attempts at hope and joy and peace and our own love. So I want us to focus this morning on what it means to be loved people in the waiting. And I think Elizabeth from our gospel reading gives us a really good picture of what this looks like, what it looks like to be a loved person. But before we get there, I also want to say that this is a really personal sermon for me. Next week, I will be ordained as a priest, and that's something I've been working toward for about six years and praying about for a couple more than that. And then next summer, I'll become the rector of this church. And people ask me all the time how I feel about this, and I think they're expecting a really cheery, excited answer. Um, but the truth is that I'm scared. I feel so inadequate. And so I'm talking to God about this all the time right now. We are having these very raw conversations. And the more we talk, the more I begin to sense that my own feelings of inadequacy are actually this invitation to go deeper into God's love for me. They're actually this invitation to trust his love more fully. Because, of course, I'm inadequate. We all are. And when I face that honestly, I can either work really hard to pretend that I'm not or to try and compensate for everything that I'm inadequate at, or I can stop striving and I can trust that I am loved by God, that the things I'm stepping into and the things this church is stepping into are the ways he is loving us right now and that that love is enough. And as I've wrestled with this, I keep coming back to this picture of myself at the edge of a body of water. And I'm sort of there playing in the shallows, content to stay in the space where everything is safe and under control and there's no risk. But God is inviting me to wade way out into the depths where I am carried and surrounded and held secure by his love 
this vast, deep, and wide love. And I really do long to go there. So this is a personal sermon for me. It is something I've been wrestling with a lot. But I think it's a personal sermon for all of us. Because whether we realize it or not, God is calling all of us out of the shallows and into the depths, out to where his love is vast and it carries us and it holds us secure. So let's look now at Elizabeth as someone who is way out there in the depths, someone who is this embodiment of being loved in the waiting. In this text, Elizabeth is this woman who has had a deep, personal bodily experience with God's love for her. And then from that belovedness, she is able to freely humble herself, to freely bless, and to freely wonder more about who God is. So just as a bit of background, Elizabeth is a very old woman. She's been unable to conceive all her life, something that earlier in the chapter that we read a couple weeks ago she calls her disgrace. This is a woman who knows what it is to wait. She knows the disappointment and the shame of waiting for something that never comes, things never appearing. But God has this way of breaking into the world when it is long past waiting, when people have given up. And God sends this angel to Elizabeth's husband, Zechariah, and tells him that she will become miraculously pregnant in her old age She'll have a baby named John, that's going to be John the Baptist, who will prepare the way for Jesus, the Savior. And so today's reading picks up where Elizabeth is about six months pregnant. God is making good on that angel message, and she has this baby in her womb as this undeniable sign of the love of God that is so present and so active in her life right now. And not just love for Elizabeth, but God's love for the whole world. He is setting in motion this redemption back to his love for all of us. And in the meantime, an angel has also appeared to her cousin Mary, has also promised her a miraculous baby named Jesus, and has sent her on a journey to go see Mary. And when Mary gets to Elizabeth's house and she cries out hello or greetings or whatever she says, the baby John the Baptist leaps in Elizabeth's womb, and Elizabeth is filled with the Holy Spirit, and she shouts out in a loud voice, Blessed are you among women! Blessed is the fruit of your womb! And even though it's loud, it's this incredibly humble act of blessing, because culturally, for Elizabeth to bless Mary is completely backwards. Mary is young, and Elizabeth is old, Mary is nobody, and Elizabeth is married to Zechariah, who has a role in the temple. Mary should be blessing Elizabeth. And the same is actually true for the babies in their wombs. John is older. John came first. If anyone should be leaping, it should be Jesus, showing deference to the one who comes before him. But Elizabeth and her baby react to Mary and her baby in this humble reversal of the whole order of the world. And this reversal is this big theme in Luke's gospel. And we see it in Mary's song, too, that Quatley read, that God's love in Christ creates this big overhaul of the world as we know it. 
Later this morning, we're going to sing a version of Mary's song that has this amazing phrase that the world is about to turn. And that's the sense that this story gives us. All the signs are pointing to a world that is just about to turn. John is the end of one age, and Jesus is the beginning of the next. And in this turned world, everything operates in reverse. Everything's upside down. The older bless the younger. God exalts the poor and the lowly and the nobodies, and he humbles the rich and the lofty and the important. And God doesn't just turn the world from a distance. He puts himself right in the heart of it. He carries this reversal in his own body because God humbles himself. He becomes poor and lowly in Christ. He takes on the kind of disgrace and shame that Elizabeth has lived under all her life. And he carries it in his body all the way to this humiliating, lonely death. It's the ultimate reversal of things. And then by that lowest point, by that death, Christ then exalts all of us into the love of God. He lifts us up out of the disgrace and the mire of all of the shame and the sorrow that we're carrying. And he restores us to the love that we were made for, that we were made through, that we were made in. He pulls us back into the fold of God's love for us. And Elizabeth has received this kind of love. And in turn, she participates in this turning of the world. Everything about the way she behaves here suggests a woman who knows she is loved. She can humble herself before her cousin, who ought to be her inferior. She can humble herself even before Jesus in utero and call him my Lord. And she can bless loudly and exuberantly and seemingly completely unselfconsciously, full of the Holy Spirit. She doesn't need to exalt herself because she's securely loved. And she doesn't need to be self-conscious or prim and proper or withholding in her affection and her blessing because she's securely loved. And then finally, because Elizabeth is securely loved, she can wonder. She asks this question in verse 42. Why has this happened to me? that the mother of my Lord comes to me. Why has this happened to me? Other translations say, why am I so blessed? Why am I so favored? And this why marvels at the love of God. It's not a why of accusation, although there are a lot of those whys in Scripture. Those are allowed too. But this is a why of curiosity, of wonder. And earlier in this chapter, when the angel visited Zechariah, and then a little bit later, earlier in the chapter, when the angel visited Mary, they both asked the angel a different question. They both asked, how? How is this going to happen? How are you going to do this amazing thing? But Elizabeth doesn't ask how. Elizabeth is the only one who asks why. And why is actually a riskier question than how. How just kind of gets at the mechanics of things. How is this all going to fit together? Tell me how it's going to go. But why goes a lot deeper. It's like interrogating the mystery of who God is 
and what he is like and what his motives are for the things he's doing in the world. And whether it's an accusing why or a confused why or a wondrous why, like we see in Elizabeth, why is a question that is moving toward God. Why is always expressing this longing to know him. And even when it doesn't feel like it, why is also a way of trusting at some level that God is a loving God, that he's a God who welcomes questions, a God who invites our intimacy and our companionship, and a God who's not threatened by us asking him things. It's interesting to me that only Elizabeth asks why. This woman who called herself a disgrace and whose barrenness meant she probably felt like her life never amounted to much, like she never fulfilled her role in society or in her marriage, or just as a woman in general. Elizabeth probably felt unworthy, and Elizabeth spent her whole life waiting for something that didn't show up. And I think to someone who feels their unworthiness and then experiences the kind of love that Elizabeth has been shown, the kind of love that we all have waiting for us, I think it enables her to ask why, to do this courageous thing and to really press into the heart of who God is, to not be afraid of what she might find there. Why has this happened to me, that the mother of my Lord comes to me? And the answer is because God loves Elizabeth. The why of God is always love. Because God is love. And God loves each one of us. Not because we have earned it. Not because we have made something of our lives. But because God is love. The why of God is always his love, and that love is always reaching out to us. So Elizabeth gives us this picture of a loved person, someone who has become so overwhelmingly convinced by the love of God that she can freely humble and freely bless and freely wonder. Let me pray for all of us. Father, this week we are people who are waiting for your incarnate love. And we are waiting for the world to turn. And God, I pray that as we wait, that we would know ourselves loved people. God, I pray that you would call each one of us out from the shallows and into the depths that we would trust and be carried and held by your love for us. Amen.